Hi there, welcome back. It's me and Champ here. The little squeak. You hear that? Um, there's nothing new on my defect, unfortunately, so... Independence. Um, timeshares last week tonight. Got kind of a a um, job offer from Forbidden. Let's see, is there a mothership in our solar system? Yes, there is. Oh, one day ago. Welcome to my funeral! Thanks for watching. 80k listens. Accessibility menu. Anyway, thanks for 80K. What's up, what's up? Hang tight when I send a text message out to everybody. Tonight we're going to talk about it. What's happening, everybody? I see everybody in the chat filling up. All right, let's go. Keith, Trone, HBK, Notice, Kelly, Simba, Snake. Oh, we got Najee, Rated, Yon, Joseph. All right, let's go. Great night. Make sure you guys share the video. Make sure you put this video link somewhere on other social media platforms so people can watch it. Make sure you please click the like button. That's very, very important. Click that like button. I'm obviously not in my house right now. I'm in a, in a hotel in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, beautiful place. Like, great, great scenery. The mountains and everything all around. Uh, it's just, man, a little bit dry for me, okay? A little dry. <laughs> I thought I would get a break from my asthma from the flora and fauna of Florida. But the dust has gotten to me now. <laughs> 
But regardless, we're going to make the most of it tonight. Uh, thank you, Quest. I appreciate you so much. We've got an early donation tonight. Um, appreciate you. Thank you so much, Brother Carson, 100%. It's unfortunate. I feel so necessary to thought a man of conviction, passion, dedication, self-awareness, relentless, pursuit of lifting, veils of ignorance. Thank you so much, Quest. I appreciate you. Uh, again, it's going to be another great, great, great night. Now, I'm going to take my time walking through this because I'm going to present different perspectives of what this thing could or could not be. Uh, and I'll talk about Amua Amua as well, another interstellar object that came into our solar system that the same exact Harvard uh, scientist that spoke on this mothership has also spoken on Amua Amua and said it was also a spaceship. So it's going to be interesting. Very interesting talk tonight. All right. Um, let's see here. I'm going to use a little bit of partial PowerPoint. I got a couple of light video clips to showcase as well. We're going to get into a little bit of science also. So it's going to be a great night. Okay, now, let me add this to the screen. Pentagon officials suggest alien mothership in our solar system could send many probes to Earth, right? That is the headline that's been going around for like, what, maybe the last two, two and a half weeks, right? About two, two and a half weeks has been going around like crazy. Uh, and uh, so I decided to dig deep into it. As you guys know, I don't just hop on topics right away and start talking on them just so I can get my views. I don't want I don't want the views. I don't want the. <laughs> what I want is I want to get as close to the truth as possible. That's what I want. And to do that, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. I have to do research. I have to look into things. I've got to make phone calls. Talk to physicists, scientists, anybody that I possibly know in the field. Uh, do extra research on different documents. Look up scientific studies, or whatever the case may be. Whatever could be possibly be related to whatever that hot topic is of the day, right? I don't want to be the type of person that as soon as something hits the news, I take it and throw it up on my YouTube account and run away with it like it's gospel. Because if that's the case, we might as well all go to church and sit down and listen to a pastor. <laughs> okay? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I never have, and I never will. If you see me talk about something almost immediately as it hits the headlines, it means I already knew about it or knew enough about it to speak on it at that moment. I think a lot of people get information from the news or the internet, and they, if it's a hot topic or a hot headline, they'll speak on it without even taking time to know about it or research it or understand what it is, just because they want to be one of the first ones with the topic or the subject line online so they can get more views, more likes, more clicks, and everything else. And um, that's just never been my style. That's never been my style. To me, when you do stuff like that, that's a lack of abundance mentality. I think what you're trying to say to the universe is you don't believe you can manifest abundance. And so what you have to do is you try to have to outsmart the universe by, and outsmart the people by jumping the gun and doing something that goes against all credibility just so you can make a couple of stake dollars that you blow away and piss away within just a few days because it's not even a lot of money. So I think it's better to take your time and uh, and do and dig a little deeper and even meditate on it sometimes. Come up with some hypothesis. Come up with some ideas, you know, um, things to think about. Thank you, Neil. Things that you can think about about the topic that might lead you to more questions, that might lead you to more answers. So if I sound a little congested, that's because of the dust out here. The dust is really killing me. It's really... I'm in the desert. I'm actually in an actual desert. <laughs> the town looks like the 1800s. Pretty interesting. 
But so that's what I do. And you guys who know me for a while, you know that's my MO. That's that's how I operate. You know, that's why it's unfortunate for trolls who take information and hop online and throw stuff up. That's why I made that video the other night, right? People grab information from all kinds of sources and they think they've got the hot topic, and then they come to find out they don't have they have diddly squat. <laughs> Not only did they have diddly squat, but they're getting sued. And one of the lawsuits uh, that I had talked about the other night is getting filed this week in St. Louis, Missouri. There's going to be a lawsuit filed this week. And, uh, you know, so you know, this is, you know, it, when you jump the gun too fast, when you try to speed up and get ahead of everybody and, or make this miraculous discovery that nobody hardly knows about just because you're rushing to try to get it out there, you end up sometimes screwing yourself. <laughs> so it is what it is. All right. It is what it is. Anyway, this is a hot topic. This is a real hot topic. You know, Pentagon officials you know, suggest alien mothership. Now, what's interesting is as I dug a little deeper, I saw different variations of this same exact topic online. Here's Revolt, which was actually published on Yahoo News. Pentagon believes alien mothership could be eyeing Earth. Right. Could be not that it is, but that it possibly could be. If you go back to the first one, it's saying Pentagon officials suggest, suggest alien mothership. In other words, it's another one of those could be's and could be sending out mini probes to Earth. These are hypotheticals, hypotheticals. Let's look again here. Because that Pentagon officials claim alien mothership could send ships to Earth in a draft research paper. So I had to go and find out what this draft research paper was, because when you look up the word draft, right? The word draft, let's look it up right now. Draft definition. It says a preliminary version of a piece of writing. Okay, so we're talking about a preliminary, preliminary, right? You go take preliminary, preliminary and look that up. What do you get? Preliminary, denoting an action or event preceding or done in preparation for. You see, you get, you're getting a little bit of an idea how I study things now. <laughs> you understand how I do a little studying and research? So now what it's given me this understanding is after digging and digging, now I'm getting a little bit closer to what this actual statement is all about. There was a preliminary draft of a paper written up about the potential of an alien mothership that could be in outer space and that could send probes to Earth because of something that we would do. You see? So it's not that there is or has been spotted. What they're saying is there's a strong possibility that there could be based on uh, different things, uh, you know, in terms of the number of potential life forms and civilizations that exist and so forth and so on. And who wrote this paper? Avi Loeb wrote this paper, a Harvard scientist. He wrote the draft. He's also the person that wrote the draft on Amua Amua. Now, he's got some phenomenal, phenomenal um, hypothesis and some great observations. So I respect Avi Loeb. I don't think that he's wrong in what he's doing. What I do think, though, I think that the mainstream media saw it as a very hot draft paper and took that draft and made it into a, into a spectacular headline 
could generate a lot of views and a lot of uh, listeners and a lot of watchers, a lot of YouTube clicks, a lot of blog clicks. They created a whole frenzy with this thing. Not a frenzy of, of fear, because I don't think people were scared, but I do think that uh, a lot of people were like, wow, they're finally getting ready to give us disclosure. When in actuality, the, digger, the, the deeper I dug into it, it ended up being a draft paper written at Harvard that wasn't fully even completed and published yet. <laughs> so that's what it is. Now, it's interesting is Avi Loeb is well, well, well respected. He was one of the top consultants on the Amua Amua object that came through our solar system. So I deeply, deeply respect him. Uh, I'm going to try to get him on the podcast because I love talking to real scientists because when I talk with a scientist, I can have a great, great, great conversation. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's well-versed in astrophysics, orbital mechanics, and all those topics. Uh, and uh, he writes a lot of stuff on these topics by Harvard. He's been considered an expert in the field. So again, there's nothing against Avi Loeb. What Avi Loeb did was he, be, he wrote a draft and somehow someone leaked that draft to the media. And then the media created sensational headlines about a mothership, you know, out there in our solar system. Now, if we look at some of the past uh, testimonies by former military, former military, which happened in the Disclosure Project, uh, where they testified before Congress, I think that was around 2013 or so, I can't remember the exact year, but about 15 or 20 former military testified before Congress uh, that there was ships, massive ships in our solar system. One of them actually said one was the size of two football fields in our solar system. So do I believe that they exist? I absolutely do believe they exist. And let me tell you why. There is a, um, there's a book. It's a Ronald, Ronald Reagan's diary. Okay. Let me see if I can get a picture of this book. You guys know I like to always come with the receipts. It just came to, it's to the top of my mind right now. Otherwise, I would probably would have had this image ready. But I'm going to pull this image up for you real quick. Let me go to my, my book list of books that I bought from Amazon, right? And all I got to do is type in Reagan. It should pop up. <coughs> Excuse me. It should pop right up. There it goes. Let me take a picture of this right quick and put this on the screen because this is really, really important stuff, right? Ronald Reagan Diaries. Let me pull this up, print screen. And I'm going to... <coughs> Excuse me, guys. I'm going to make this into a, uh, an image real quick so that I can share it. So dry. Man. Okay. Close that. All right. Now, all photos. Okay. Here we go. Just make this file. This is really important. What I'm about to read to you is going to be mind blowing. And this is in the Library of Congress, what I'm about to read to you. Okay. The Library of Congress. Let me open this up. And it to me, when and when you see when you see what I'm about to say, uh, to me, it points to the fact of what Avi Loeb has already assumed means to me that he's probably pretty much spot on in a couple of ways. One way, we have a lot of technology here, 
that we haven't disclosed. And you're going to find out about that right now. Let me crop this image and let me save it. <clears throat> now I'm going to, you're going to see what I'm talking about. But I, li I like to show these images because I want you to see exactly what my sources are and give you the chance to go look it up yourself so you know I don't make stuff up. I'm not like these fake trolling accounts that just make stuff up off the top of their head. You see, I like to come with facts. That's the most important thing. When you come with facts, nobody can debate you, right? Thank you, girl from the Bay 93. If we have mothership-like technology, then why do you think we're sending people into space? Great, great question. That's a phenomenal question. <coughs> Excuse me while I'm processing this image. So uh, why do we send people in space if we have <coughs> all this advanced technology okay, on, on primitive chemical-based rockets? <coughs> well, we send them to, on primitive chemical-based rockets because we are suppressing the advanced technology. As long as people think that's the best we can do, then they're free to explore the galaxy and the universe and the solar system on their own without any encumbrance. We can't stop them. We can't ask them to bring back information on what they've discovered, who they discovered, what they're involved in. Are they, are they trying to mess up another planet? Are they trying to take over another culture, another indigenous culture on another planet? Are they trying to destroy an ecosystem of another planet so that it can be inhabitable by humans? A lot of questions will come into play. A lot of different rules and laws will need to be created from scratch. So the best thing to do is keep it quiet. So you know what it's like? Yeah, we just keep it quiet. Let, us, let them think this is the best we got. And while they're thinking on that, we'll be exploring everything out here. And that's what they do. See? So let me, uh, let me pull up this image now. I can add it to my screen here. Okay, it's uploading now. Turning setbacks into bouncebacks. Science did that. All right. This is Ronald Reagan Diaries. Now, I first found out about this at the Library of Congress which a copy of this, this record is in the Library of Congress, but it's also available without you traveling to the Library of Congress. You don't have to go to D.C. You can actually go to Amazon and you can buy this diary. Now, what's important about this diary is that in this diary, Ronald Reagan says that I'm pleased to find out today after meeting with the NASA scientists and astrophysicists that we now have a ship that can take 250 men and women into space. That's the actual quote. He said, after my meeting today, I am pleased to announce that we could take 200. Have you seen a ship that could take 250 men and women into space? Have you, have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Not here on this planet. In movies, Star Trek. They have a lot of people. They got 600 people on Enterprise, right? 600 souls, I think, they got on that Enterprise. But I haven't seen it in the real world. Why Why would he put that in his official presidential log, which became part of his diaries, which is located in a library of Congress? Because he had that meeting and because he got that confirmation that we had that technology. You see, we're talking about the, the project that he authorized back in the 80s which was a fleet of these ships that exist. They actually do exist. And he was made privy to the knowledge of them because he was the one that helped create the funding for those ships. You see? And so they do exist. 
And those are our, that's our technology. So there's a combination of possibilities. One of the possibilities is, um, you know, we have uh, potential visitors coming from outer space. And I would believe that happens all the time, right? And the reason why is because with the technology, with, with the technology that we have, if it was free for, if it was open to the public to know what we actually had and the capabilities that we actually truly do have, it makes sense that we would like to go visit other places. Right now, Virgin Galactic, right, they are creating this space uh, tourism program. So in space tourism, people will be able to take a trip to go see the rings of Saturn, go do an orbit of the moons of Jupiter and come back home. If we're doing that now, if we are planning that right now, then what do you think other races that are 400,000 to 1 million years ahead of us are doing? They're coming to visit, they're coming to look, coming to observe, trying to see what's going on, right? <clears throat> hey, Billy, have you ever read Man Being Volume 1, The Transmission? Uh, I haven't read that yet. That's a, that's a book that I haven't heard of. I've got to look that up. By the way, your companion with the Emerald Tablets on my daily read. Thank you for that. Well, thanks a lot, Rev. Pill Rossi. I appreciate that. Thank you for the donation. But I'm going to screenshot this right now, which I just did. And I'm going to find that book and read it. So thanks a lot. <clears throat> so if we would uh, engage in space tourism, why wouldn't they? Shonda Walker, is the firmament real? How are we traveling past it? Great question. Thank goodness. I'm glad you asked that question, Shonda. So there's a lot of propaganda going around on the Internet that there's a firmament there is a firmament that's actually real. It's not a it's not a dome and it's not a barrier that we can't pass through. It's not. It's an actual uh, the firmament is actually the, the stratosphere. There's, there's different layers of the atmosphere at the higher levels. All right. Leading up into what we call outer space. It surrounds the entire planet. Now. What's interesting is when you look at the Enuma Elish, it talks about the separation of the division of waters from waters. It talks about the fact that Earth was a broken off fragment of this other planet named Tiamat, which was the fourth planet originally from the sun. It was four to six times larger than Earth, and Mars orbited it. Mars used to be a habitable moon of this uh, Tiamat. Now, astrophysicists confirm in actual scientific peer-reviewed astrophysical books that Mars appears to have been a moon of another planet that broke up and became the asteroid belt. Guess where that knowledge is located? It's located in the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, which the Bible took the firmament uh, statements from and so dividing the waters from the waters and everything else about the creation of the planet Earth directly from the Enuma Elish. The part they left out was that the Earth was a fragment, a massive fragment of Tiamat as it broke off and broke away and then recoalesced as planet Earth and took the third spot in orbit. They call it a, um, a net. That's what they call orbits and so forth, the gravitational. They call it a net around our sun. And so what's interesting is the Bible copied that information. Now, there's a whole article that I wrote, a whole blog article that I wrote, um, and that blog article is on ForbiddenKnowledge.com. It said, yes, we went to the moon, and yes, we lied about it. And in this article, I go over several important key elements, which I'm going to make into a full podcast. I go over the fact of how we launched uh, from this planet and create and went through a gap in the um, in the stratosphere that was opened up by electromagnetic fields that whip out of the planet Earth itself. 
and how you get through the actual belt, the radiation belt, the Van Allen radiation belt. What is the Van Allen radiation belt? And, and, and why did people think we couldn't get through it? I'll give you a short clip of this before I do the full podcast. And the Mercury missions, which were the missions prior to Apollo, we had black women working at NASA. Black women were the computers. The word computer didn't exist as it, as it does today. When we think of a computer, we think of a machine. Back then, the word computer meant a, a woman, a human being. Women, black women were the computers. When you heard of computer back then, in the 60s, it was referencing a mathematical genius, which were black women. They were called hidden figures. Okay, If you haven't seen the movie Hidden Figures, you need to watch it. So these black women worked at NASA. I'm talking about a slew of them. They were responsible for all the calculations that made all the projections for splashdowns, launch windows, uh, uh, max Q arcs, and everything else that takes to get into orbit. It was all done by black women. Uh, because they were mathematical and are still mathematical geniuses. Well, uh, now at the same time that they were working on the Mercury mission to test low low orbits of the planet Earth and such to get ready for the future of the Apollo, uh, we have Van Allen, who was a scientist and astrophysicist working for NASA. He came up with uh, the understanding that there was a belt, a belt of radiation that was hovering just outside the stratosphere around the Earth, which was uh, created by charged particles that were coming from the sun and radiating, but because of our magnetic field and our ozone layer, they got stuck around the outside of the planet, thankfully for us. And so he had raised a concern to NASA that this belt could pose deadly threat to human beings. Not that it was unpassable, but that it could pose a deadly threat. After further research, this is the part that the, the people never want to tell you, you know, the people that like to make up the fake news because they themselves don't even do any research. After further research, they just they discovered that the belt was thin and that it, a person could pass through in a capsule in one day. And you would need to spend three months in the heart of the radiation belt with no protection on your capsule to obtain a lifetime dose of radiation. Meaning it had no effect and would have no effect on uh, uh, our capsule because it was radiation hardened and protected, as well as the fact that it would take one day to pass through the radiation belt. But they also found out something else interesting. Where the magnetic fields whip out of the planet, it creates a gateway or a highway through the belt. In other words, a much even thinner location where the belt spreads out as Earth's magnetic field whips out. And you're able to time this. So they created a launch window that sent them directly through that massive opening. And that's how they launched through the window out into space. You must travel 33 times the speed of sound to escape Earth's gravity. This is what a lot of the people don't know about because they don't study physics or astrophysics or aer aeronautics. And because they don't study that, they don't know that you must travel 33 times the speed of sound. If you're not traveling at 33, 33 times the speed of sound, you'll never break Earth's gravity. You'll just travel around the planet nonstop. Okay? <clears throat> so I'm glad you asked the question, Shonda. You gave me a chance to drop in some of my science. All right? All right, cool. So now, let me go back here. Because I want to talk about a couple of things. And I'm going to do that full talk. I'm going to do that full talk on... Yes, we went to the moon, and yes, we lied about it. I'm going to tell you about what we lied about in that podcast when I come back and do that podcast. It's true that six billion old 
black woman's body was found on the moon in the 1970s. I don't know the age of that body that was found, but I believe that the footage is actually true. I believe in, I believe the footage is true. I know for one thing, and the reason why I'm saying this, by the way, because I looked up that moon image where that uh, supposed body was taken from. And in that image, there's a gigantic anomaly on the moon. And I mean, it's massive. It's twice the size of New York City. It's super massive. I'll show that in my in my podcast that I do about the moon. Actually, I'll bring that up and show you that. And I'll get a clip of that woman that Queen Elizabeth is referencing. So you guys can see what we're talking about. The, uh, the astronaut that took that footage from the Apollo mission, he, the camera that he used to take that footage, he took that camera and kept it. And then he escaped in Africa. He was actually wanted for arrest. There was a warrant for his arrest. And he went into Africa, a non, non-extradition country. And he's been hiding there. He's probably dead by now because he's really old. But he was hiding there for decades. And this is well known. So pretty interesting. If he didn't have nothing to hide, why is he running from NASA with that camera? And supposedly that image that Queen Elizabeth is talking about came from that camera. It's a grain. If the pyramids are a multifunctional stone computer and emits electromagnetic energy, does that mean that our bodies are multifunctional computers as well? Yes, it does. That's exactly what we are. We are multifunctional computers. We are multidimensional um, uh, spiritual people. Our minds connect to 11 dimensions. This is now a scientific fact. Matter of fact, I was just talking about this today in my lecture. I just, that's why I'm here in Arizona. I just did a lecture on spirituality. And in my lecture, I talked about the multifunctions of consciousness and the human brain, how they collaborate together, and how our mind connects to up to 11 dimensions based on real science. And it was a, it was a great, great lecture. I've got a standing ovation here in Arizona. And what I'll do is I'll make that a separate, uh, I'll do another podcast on that topic and show you all the different functionalities of how our avatar bodies are multifunctional and our consciousness is multifunctional as well. Not just multifunctional, but multidimensional, which is huge. <clears throat> so it's going to be an amazing talk. You guys are giving me a lot of great ideas <clears throat> to, to uh, go through this. Somebody said, yes, white people too. All I can tell you is that the department that we're called the computers didn't have white people. I'm not creating divine and conquer. I'm not separating white women from black women. I'm just telling you simply that the people that calculate all the trajectories for the Mercury missions were 100% all black women. It's just a fact. It is, it is what it is. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with putting anybody down. It's just uh, a piece of history that needs to be noted, that needs to be known. <clears throat> and the reason why is because a lot of black people think that we've never accomplished nothing and, we, and, we're, and we're, we're nothing. We've never been anything. When in true reality, our genius has been used to create this entire planet. Our genius has been used to build civilizations all over the world because primarily minorities are the ones that do the hard labor and make all the inventions to try to make the labor easier for ourselves. And so, you know, the people know this, so they utilize us for various tasks because of our capability, our incredible capability of creativity through conscious thought and our ability to extrapolate and think abstractly to create new ways of doing things. It's just a fact. It has nothing to do with black or white, who's better than who. It just has to do with, hey, this is what it was. These are the facts. <clears throat> and, I, and I like to lay the facts all the way out there because we need to know what accomplishments, accomplishments were done by people in the ancient past when the present past and the recent past, so people can uh, feel like, you know what, well, wow, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I, I am somebody. Maybe, maybe I'm not this bum loser that they keep telling me on the news and uh, I'm just a thug or we're just a bunch of, you know, low life, low income people. Maybe we are incredible people and incredible powerful beings. Maybe it is true. 
This is why you have to tell people. See, a lot of the information has been robbed from minorities. And everywhere you look, at every turn, every commercial, every TV show, uh, everywhere you turn and look, it's as if there's a level being established where one is here and one is up here. And then people grow up seeing that from the age of one to seven is where you create your personality. And imagine growing up between the ages of one and seven and seeing that you're down here and somebody is up here. You spend the rest of your life believing that. You never believe that you have the capability of achieving the things that they can do and being on the level that they are because you've been programmed to believe you can't. So at some point, you have to show people, no, you're great. Your mind is phenomenal. You can do these things too. See, that's why it's important. It's not about divine and conquer. It's not about black or white. What it's about is, 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 is truth. <laughs> it's truth and enlightenment so that people who are thinking that they don't have the power, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the capability, they can say, wow. Maybe I can do that, too. You see, it's very, very important to point these things out. Extremely important. Do you think the tetrahedron has anything to do with the pyramids? And if so, do you think it could be a Merkaba for ascending? ascending? Well, we, when we went to Egypt with the 70 people in October, we went into the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid, which is a star tetrahedron. Because there's a pyramid under the ground and a pyramid above the ground. Um... And uh, we were in the, in the king's chamber doing a special meditation inside the king's chamber. You can say we were doing a Merkaba meditation, which allows you to create a light vessel, a vehicle of ascension. And so I would say that, the, you know, that's just one of the functions of the Great Pyramid. And I have a whole pyramid uh, podcast coming up where I'm going to talk about the pyramid, all the multifunctions, all the mathematics that are incorporated and encoded into the pyramid. And what they're what they're used for, and what what does it mean? So that's going to be a huge one coming up very soon. All right, I'm going to get back to this PowerPoint real quick. Advantage XD provides two months of flea protection in a single application. And go into something else. So I went to Australia, right? I went to Australia. I don't know if I have a picture of me here. I probably don't, but this, I, I took these pictures myself. This one here. There's a picture of this object on the wall in Australia. And uh, according to the aboriginals, I was down in Carrion 9 in Australia, out in the bush, out in the outback. This is a was a, like a makeshift uh, area where they put up hieroglyphs. On one side was Pleiadian glyphs. On the, on the right side was proto-Egyptian hieroglyphs, which have been verified by the Board of Antiquities of Egypt, which is pretty interesting. They, are, they date back to about 5,000 years ago based on the lectins and the patina inside the cracks of the and crevices of the actual glyphs. You can date them 5,000 years. 5,000 years ago, Egyptians were in Australia visiting the aboriginals. Now, what's interesting is on the side that the, the glyphs are Pleiadian, nobody to date on this planet has deciphered those glyphs yet. In those glyphs is this massive what looks like a mothership with little ships coming out. The, the, uh, the Aboriginal people say that was the Pleiadians, and those are Pleiadian glyphs, that the Pleiadians brought them to Earth. That's the Aboriginals from Australia handed down verbal history. That's not Billy Carson saying that. It's the Aboriginal elders and what they teach themselves and their kids. Generation after generation, they say they were the first seeded people on this planet. And that this represents one of the motherships that drops off little UFOs or little probes coming out. Pretty interesting based on the subject line of the story. 
uh, that was drafted by Avi Loeb of the potential of a mothership out there with these little ships or probes coming out of it. I like to link things to the ancient past. This UFO is 5,000 years old. Here's another photo that I took personally with my phone. This is the side with the Pleiadian glyphs, the same side that that UFO is on, right? Pretty interesting. And the other side um, is the, um, the Proto-Egyptian glyphs in this area. These can be deciphered. It talks about a story of two brothers. It talks about a story of two brothers that left Egypt and went to Australia to sit with the Aboriginal elders. Upon landing there on the on the um, on the shore, one of the brothers got bit by a snake. This is what the Egyptian hieroglyphs actually said. He got bit by a snake, and he died. The other brother tried to save him. He couldn't save him. He then took the body and he put it on this giant stone, which is right behind that area where you saw the glyphs, and he mummified his body according to the hieroglyphs. This is what, this is what he wrote. That stone is still there. He then took his brother back to Egypt. Now, I heard about this story way back in around 2011, 2012. It was interesting when I went to Egypt in 2014 at one of the temples, the story of the two brothers returning from Australia, one with the dead body, one body was one, one of the brothers were dead. It shocked me and stunned me, and I knew I had to get out to the outback, which I eventually did. And um, it was the beginning of 2020, right before the lockdown happened. In fact, as I was taken off to come home, they were locking the country down. I would have been stuck there for three months. That would have been horrible. Anyway, I made it there. I got it done. I got to where I got to the place that I wanted to see. I got to explore the outback. I got to go for a walk about and all good works. And it was an amazing sight and an amazing experience. But again, the confirmation that Egyptians had been visiting the Aboriginals, and according to the hieroglyphs, gained knowledge. There was a knowledge exchange going on between the Egyptians and the Aboriginal people in ancient times, thousands of years ago. It only stopped about 500 years ago, according to the Aboriginal elders. They told me because uh, at one point a group came over and they started touching the sacred stones and one of them stole two of the sacred stones. And because of that, they were banished from ever coming back. And that ended the, that ended the back and forth communication between the Egyptians and the Aboriginals. You're not going to get this kind of stuff in school. You're not going to get this kind of knowledge in school or, or, or college. You're just not going to get it, right? Now, there was another ship that came through called Amua Amua. I call it a ship because I don't believe that this is a comet or an asteroid. Amua Amua came through here a few years ago. And, and from my understanding of orbital mechanics, it used a gravitational assist to accelerate itself through our solar system and back out into interstellar space. And so my argument for this, I'll show it, I'll present my argument for that tonight in this, in this pop-up podcast. Avi Loeb, the same person that wrote the draft paper about the mothership, also wrote about Amua Amua. It, it, Amua Amua is a Hawaiian name that was given to this object, this anomaly, uh, as I believe it was discovered from an observatory out of Hawaii. Maybe that's why they gave it the name Amua Amua. The shape of the object is not consistent with a comet or an asteroid. The flight path is not consistent with a comet or asteroid. The angle of attack, in other words, the angle that it take, took toward our sun, towards the inner planets, avoiding collisions with all planets and moons in our solar system, also didn't 
uh, didn't fall through with it. Um, I'll talk about that in a second, Neil. And so I personally came to the hypothesis that this could be an ancient space relic. It could be a derelict craft of some type, or it could be on a, a craft that's, a, that's, that's functioning properly and on some type of interstellar observation mission. In other words, an advanced race of beings light years away. It would make sense that instead of traveling so many light years all the time and risking your life and risking radiation and risking uh, going into hibernation and not waking up and everything else, if you don't have the capability of faster than light travel at a very consistent pace, it would make sense to me as an advanced race is to create a probe that can travel great distances on a consistent basis and a probe that can travel through multiple star systems that we have identified as potentially harboring life. And what I would do with that space probe is I would have it through use a quantum entanglement communications device so that it could transmit information in real time faster than the speed of light. It can transmit at the speed of thought back to home base, no matter where we are in the universe. And we can collect data on what it's seeing, what it's finding, and what it's learning about the universe itself as it passes through these inhabitable regions. And so that's my theory about it. Avi Loeb had the same idea, not my specific idea, but that this according to him, didn't fit the characteristics of an actual uh, um, uh, comet or, or an asteroid, and that more like fit the, uh, the specs of an actual spacecraft, right? And so it's a hypothetical of the craft right here. It could have built up a lot of debris and dust on it over millennia as it's been flying through interstellar space and going from uh, solar system to solar system, right? Pretty interesting stuff. And so this is just a, an actual concept image, concept, right? And so Alarjay uh, says, what do you think about people who have dyslexia? I think they're brilliant people. I mean, a lot of people have dyslexia. It's just a different way that their brain is processing information. Um, you know, if you think about it, it's like a superpower. Your brain processes things totally different than the average person, which means you have the capability of seeing things totally different. Um, Kena Shiva, live in Vegas. Have you, uh, you saved my life, and now my soul doesn't live in my body. Body lives in my soul. I'm, I am everything. Okay, thank you, LA. Appreciate it. La, La, or either LA. She says that she's, you know, been alchemically or spiritually converted, um, and you know, from the knowledge and the wisdom that's been put out on this channel. So I appreciate you and thank you for the donation. So this is just a, a, a concept image here of, um, you know, of Amua Amua. If it wasn't full of dust and debris on the outside, right? There's a lot of dust and debris in space. And if you're traveling for thousands of years, no way to clean it off, you end up, you could end up looking like this. You know? This is just a concept image, though. <coughs> so let's look again at a paper, another paper written by Avi Loeb on harvard.edu. And the link there to the source is at the top of the image. On the possibility of an artificial origin of Amua Amua, Avi Loeb, right? Astronomy Department, Harvard University. He says, let me blow this up so I can see it a little easier. The first large interstellar object discovered near Earth by the Pan-STARRS telescope, Oumuamua, showed half a dozen anomalies. So it had, <coughs> excuse me, it had half a dozen anomalies on it. Okay, so in other words, it when they look at the image of this object closely, they're seeing things on it that don't belong there. It shouldn't be considered a stone or a rock or debris. It's something else. 
So the first interstellar object discovered near Earth by a Pan-STARRS telescope, Oumuamua, showed half a dozen anomalies relative to comets or asteroids in the solar system. In other words, as they compared it to other comets and asteroids, it didn't match. All natural origin interpretations of Oumuamua anomalies contemplated objects of a type never seen before, such as a porous cloud of dust particles, tidal disruption, fragment, or exotic icebergs. It didn't match any of that. Made of pure hydrogen or pure nitrogen, each of these natural origin models has major quantitative shortcomings, and so the possibility of an artificial origin for Oumuamua must be considered artificial origin. They're saying it doesn't match natural, it must be artificial, based on scientific observation by real scientists. Oumuamua's anomaly suggests that it might have been a thin craft with a large area per unit mass, pushed by the reflection of sunlight, sharing qualities of the thin aircraft 2020 SO, which is another object, launched by NASA in 1966. They, use a, they, launched, they launched an object in 1966, which used a solar acceleration array, where you let the charged particles from the sun uh, push against your craft and create acceleration. It's like a solar sail. And they're saying that this object is using the same exact type of technology that they experimented with in 1960. Pretty interesting. Right? Pretty interesting stuff there. This is why I love astrophysics and this is why I love science. This is why I love studying this kind of stuff. Orbital mechanics, I, I dig into this kind of stuff and I research it and read it nonstop. Because it's so fascinating, right? It's really so fascinating, and so it's you know it's one of these things that just are, it's just mind blowing the concept that we could have had a visit from an interstellar object created by an alien race, and it passed right by us a few years ago, and a lot of scientists cried out and said, "Hey, this thing is not organic. It's real. It's you know it's it's, it's intelligently made," and everybody just kept going to work and punching their time clocks because they have to pay their bills. We just ignored it and let it let it go right by. You know, could it be that uh, Ace says, could it be that on the surface of this ship, there could be buffer material covering it in case of collisions? That's true, too. That's a great observation. It could have material on it that will protect it from collisions with space dust and space debris. Absolutely. Um, trying to get to all of these. <clears throat> Thank you, Kevin. Kevin Hawkins. Red Phil Rossi, do you think a more and more? Uh, have anything to do with the Black Knight satellite? Great question. I'm getting to that. <laughs> I'm getting to that very shortly. I'll be answering that question very shortly, as I will also show a clip of the Black Knight and talk a little bit about it. Right? Um, <clears throat> Enlightened Society, hey, Billy, sending love and support for all the information you provide. Who are the people of ancient people of America? Did they have record of aliens visiting, and how are blacks in America today related to these people? Great, great question. So, when you look at Christopher Columbus's log, and I'm going to get off track a little bit for this question because I think it's a great question. Um, look at Christopher Columbus's log. You discover <coughs> that, of course, he said he did not discover America. He actually got completely lost. This is not based off of my ideas or concepts. It's based off of his own logs. He actually thought he ended up in a region of India based on his tracking. He was way off. That's why he called the people of the islands that he ran into Indians, the indigenous people that he found there, he called them Indians because he thought he had rounded about some kind of weird way and ended back up in India. And we still use the word Indian till this very day, even though Indians don't exist in America. And it's a very offensive thing to call an indigenous American an Indian. They don't like that. <laughs> okay. They don't like it at all. 
And so it's like misappropriating their, you know, the species, the, the race that they are, or the, I don't even use, even use race, but who they are. Pretty interesting. So uh, when he, what, what, what we have found out was that if you go into Mexico, which is where I'm headed in a few short weeks, I'm going to go do a film part of my series, my new TV series for um, uh, Forbidden Knowledge TV called Anunnaki History. And I'm filming some on-site scenes in Mexico at Teotihuacan, at Tulum, Tula, and also down into Chichen Itza in the Yucatan Peninsula. Why, why do I bring this up with this question? In, in Africa, in Africa, you have Thoth, the Atlantean priest king. I wrote about him in my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. He, he ruled over the land of Kemet for 16,000 years in ancient times. Not according to me, according to the ancient Egyptians' records. And, of course, he authored the Emerald Tablets. Throughout Africa, he had many names. He was Thoth. He was also known as Tahuti, Tahuti, right? And so when you, you know, that name Tahuti with the T, when you go and break down Teotihuacan, you find out the root of the word and the breakdown of the word is Tahuti's, uh, Tahuti City. Or the city of Tehuti is the way it breaks down. And so Teotihuacan is actually Tehuti's city. So in the Sumerian tablets, you find that Thoth had left out of Kemet, the land of Kem. He leaves and he takes several Olmecs with him to, Africa, uh, to Mesoamerica, which is now Mexico. Mesoamerica, but now it's changed to Mexico, which is the Americas. To build a civilization there. He builds Teotihuacan, which is a mirror, a copy of Giza. It's located in Mexico. The three pyramids are perfectly aligned with the Orion. The base of the Pyramid of the Sun is the exact size of the base of the Pyramid, the Great Pyramid at Giza, and so forth and so on. I mean, I can go on and on and on with all the similarities. But the reason why is because he was the architect. He's the one that built that. And so to answer your question, you find that there were people, he brought the Olmecs with him. He brought black people with him to Mesoamerica to kickstart an entire new civilization. They created a breakaway civilization over there broke away and created that. There have been indigenous uh, Africans living throughout the uh, North and South Americas for generations, for eons, for thousands of years, right? And so um, not everybody that was brought here was brought here on a ship. There were some people already here, all right? <clears throat> all right, so now, when I say on a ship, I'm talking about slave ships. Not all slaves that came here came on slave ships. There were already black people here when they arrived. Now, all right, let me get back to this here. <clears throat> so, Allegra D relieves eight allergy symptoms, including congestion. Get it at the pharmacy counter. So let's talk about this again. So Avi Loeb does a great job talking about Amua Amua and the potential, him and his team, the potential that they believe it's really an artificially designed craft using a, a solar sail to project itself through the solar system and beyond into intergalactic space. It came from outside of our solar system. It didn't collide with the Oort cloud. Now, the Oort cloud is a very dangerous place. On the edge, on the far, far edges of our solar system, there's something called an Oort cloud. This Oort cloud is a lot of debris, the leftover debris from the creation of the solar system itself. This debris is gigantic, massive stones, that used to be pieces of planets that have collided and 
broken off pieces of things that didn't make it into planets and planetlets and and micro planets and all kind of ice and everything else. And they're shifting and moving in this consistent uh, spin around our solar system and bumping each other. Sometimes some get thrown into intergalactic space. Some get thrown towards our sun. This thing had to navigate through the Oort cloud to get to the solar system. And then it had to navigate through the solar system without impacting anything and so it can get to our sun. And what did it do when it got to our sun? It used our sun as a gravitational assist. And this is very important. When you begin to study orbital mechanics, you begin to, begin to realize and learn about the ways that you can save fuel. Right? You can save a lot of fuel by utilizing the gravity of a planet or a sun to project the object back out into space. And so we're going to talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> Gravitational assist. In orbital mechanics and aerospace engineering, <clears throat> sorry, in orbital mechanics and aerospace engineering, a gravitational slingshot, gravity assist maneuver, or swing by is the use of the relative movement of gravity of a planet or star, or other astronomical object, which could be a star, to alter the path and the, path and the speed of the spacecraft, typically to save propellant and to reduce expense. <clears throat> See? Because when you are operating in deep space, you can't take all the fuel with you if you don't have super advanced technology. If you have a craft that's using that's not using chemical propellant, you're fine. But once you bring chemical propellant on board, the more fuel you have, the more fuel you'll need to accelerate. You can't avoid the laws of physics. And so when you're going into deep space missions, it's best to use as take as less fuel as you possibly can. And also then to create gravitational assist scenarios so that you can slingshot your craft where you want it to go by utilizing free energy from planets and stars. So gravity assist <clears throat> can be used to accelerate spacecraft. That is to increase or decrease its speed or redirect its path. The assist is provided by the motion of the gravitating body as it pulls on the craft. <clears throat> Any gain or loss of kinetic energy and linear momentum by passing the spacecraft is correspondingly lost or gained by the gravitational body in accordance with Newton's third law. The gravity assist maneuver was first used in 1959 when the Soviet Union probe Luna 3 photographed the far side of Earth's moon, and it was used by the interplanetary probes Mariner 10 and onward, including the Voyager missions, which have now gone into interstellar space. So let's take a look at this for a minute. This is the path that Amua Amua took. No, this is not the path. This is not Amua Amua. This is another craft. This is another craft that we have called Lucy. This one is called Lucy. This is our own uh, craft. We have a craft that we've been utilizing to circulate around the solar system and take images and collect data. We uh, sent it on a path and used, utilized our own sun as a gravitational assist to push it out further into deep space. And that's the track that it took. Let's take a look at this. <clears throat> Let me show you a couple of video clips so you can understand what I'm talking about. All right. This is Lucy right here. Lucy had to navigate through all those space debris. All those little tiny lines you see, those are orbital patterns of satellites that we have orbiting the planet. 
Lucy had to navigate through that, use, use our planet as a gravitational assist, and shoot back out into deep space. I'll show you that one more time. This is very important to understand how this works. Lucy's coming back in towards a planet Earth to use our own planet as a gravitational assist. This is something we created and built ourselves, <clears throat> and it, it's gone. Boom. Now it's out going into deep space to collect data for us. Let's look at Amua Amua's flight path towards our sun. I slowed this down a little bit so that you can see what's going on. This is official science probe data that anyone can download. You see how it, when it gets to the sun, it utilizes the sun to create an arc and to shoot itself out into extreme deep space. So in my personal opinion, a craft, uh, I don't think a comet can do this. A craft that can, it appears to be a craft that can navigate through the Oort cloud of our solar system, navigate through orbiting planets and moons, towards the sun and utilize it in the exact correct angle it needs to send itself off to the next star. That's pretty incredible. We're talking about, to me, in my personal opinion, advanced technology. We're talking about something that's created by uh, sentient beings that's intelligently designed. Who designed it? We have no idea. It came from outside our solar system. It's an intergalactic object that is now back in intergalactic space headed to another star in which it will use that star for a gravity assist as well and continue to push itself onward and onward. I believe it's a, da a, a data probe that's collecting mission, uh, collecting information on its mission and transmitting it back to its home base. Or maybe it's broken and it's not transmitting anymore. Either way, I don't believe that it's a, it's just a rock, a dry rock floating through space. I just don't believe that. Not after what I saw at all. Not even close, right? So let's go back here and let's take a look at gravitational assist and how it actually works. You can see here this probe that we sent out called Voyager. It runs into another planet. It uses that planet's gravity. It runs into another planet. It uses that planet's gravity to continue to project itself into deep space. And that's what this object did. And that's our own modeling that we use. So we're just rediscovering stuff that already existed. <laughs> now, I believe that this object could be connected to the Black Knight satellite. When you look at the Black Knight satellite, um, it appears to be a probe that's orbiting our planet. I did a whole documentary on the Black Knight satellite, if you didn't know. The Black Knight satellite, uh, it, what's pretty interesting about it is it's ancient. It's not something new. Why wouldn't somebody else send a satellite here to monitor us called the Black Knight Satellite? That's the name we gave it, of course. 
but it's orbiting the planet for a very, very long time, an extremely long time. First detected by Nikola Tesla. Okay, think about that. In the 1950s, it made the newspapers twice as it was picked up and detected and radio, ham radio operators picked up the signal from this thing, just like Tesla did, but they decoded the message 